0: Best-selling Canadian author and commentator, William Gardner once made the following observation. I am persuaded that the health of our entire civilization depends not on the autonomous individual and certainly not on the state, but on the family, which lies between these two things and is our primary value-generating entity and source of freedom, privacy, and meaning. That meaning and the importance and privileged status of the family is being eroded before our eyes. Gardner correctly identifies the institution of the traditional family as being critical for a society's survival and is now under threat due to a malicious effort aimed at its destruction. Those who want to see the traditional family unit terminated simply do not comprehend its role through history, perhaps largely because they are not well versed in history. Hence, in our series, The Foundations of Western Culture, we have been examining the fact that the underpinnings of Western society are based largely on the contributions of a single family, that of the great patriarch Abraham, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. To date, we have reviewed highlights of the biblical story about these three men. Today, I would like to complete this series by looking at the account of one of the most powerful and faithful individuals of whom we have record, whose descendants would inherit the lion's share of the blessing promised to Abraham, but who would also be held accountable at the end of the age for misusing that blessing. I shall be right back to review the story of the patriarch Joseph. Joseph's father, Jacob, had spent 20 years in northern Mesopotamia working for his uncle Laban, his mother Rebekah's brother. He had been sent there to protect him from the wrath of his brother Esau, from whom Jacob had stolen the inheritance, and also to find a wife from his own people. He eventually returned to Canaan and his father Isaac. Now a very different person, Jacob was much humbler, faithful to God and very wealthy in terms of livestock and servants. He also had 11 sons and at least one daughter. Joseph would have been about 6 years old when his father Jacob returned to Canaan. It was also in that same year that his mother Rachel died giving birth to the youngest of Jacob's children, Benjamin. The next mention of Joseph is an incident 11 years later, likely in the year 1865 B.C., Joseph was now 17 years of age. He appears to have been particularly close to his father who trusted him for correct updates on the massive family enterprise. His early tendency to inform his father about his brother's misdeeds caused him to be hated by his siblings. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Obviously his brothers harbored a considerable level of jealousy given the favoritism Israel was showing to Joseph. And they could be ruthless, as we saw in an earlier program, when Simeon and Levi, with their men, had attacked Shechem and destroyed it to avenge the rape of their sister by a prince of that city. To make matters worse, God started to work with Joseph and gave him prophetic dreams, which Joseph related to his father and brothers in a rather undiplomatic manner. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. The dreams were indeed prophetic and were revealing a future event that his father and brothers would later come to see. But Joseph, though a very decent and honest young man, did not perceive how this revelation was impacting his brothers. Instead of impressing them, he got a very different reaction. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us now sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Jacob's second youngest son was a brilliant young man, fiercely loyal to his father, well-schooled in the law of God, and committed to its observance. He was handsome, well-educated, from a very wealthy and powerful family, and now he found himself in chains, on his way to be sold as a slave in a foreign land. From what we know of Joseph, although he was a bit arrogant, he was generally a righteous person who knew and valued God's law. So why did God allow this? God was in the initial stages of building a nation, not just working with a family of several generations. And Joseph was to play a part in that project. This plan would eventually shape the modern world with the descendants of Israel and especially those of Joseph having more influence than any other people on planet Earth. They were to receive the great blessing of promise, but God was to expect much more of them. Their eventual failure would bring upon them, at the end of the age, a catastrophic disaster, unless they chose a major change in direction. This is more fully explained in the special offer we have for you today. We want you to have the special DVD, free of charge, It contains three special programs that cover the legacy of Joseph more fully than I can in one short program. It is called The Rise and Fall of America and Great Britain. The information contained here is information that has been largely lost to our people. The story of Joseph, as we have seen, starts out as a rather tragic tale. A young man sold by his own brothers into slavery because of the hatred they had for him. Joseph, who had been well trained by his father and likely his grandfather Isaac, had a strong sense of ethics that came from knowing the law of the God he served. Upon his arrival in Egypt, Joseph was sold as a slave to a very senior officer in the Egyptian army named Potiphar. He was a wealthy man with much property and many possessions. Even at his young age, Joseph's skill, Work ethic and integrity were such that Potiphar eventually entrusted the management of his estate and all his possessions into Joseph's hand. God was indeed watching over Joseph, and he must have discussed that with Potiphar at times. Note the biblical account. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was, from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. Potiphar trusted Joseph implicitly. Joseph, however, was a handsome young man, and he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. Potiphar's wife was likely an attractive lady herself. Our present society might say that Joseph should have taken advantage of this proposition. But Joseph was a man of integrity, for whom God's law was of prime importance. What was the result of this situation? Angered at being rejected, Potiphar's wife lied and told her husband that Joseph had attempted to assault her. This must have been a shock to Potiphar, who would have known it was out of character for Joseph. But she framed Joseph well, and he was sent to the king's prison. Psalm 105 verse 18 speaks of this. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons. If this had been you or me, we might have been discouraged enough to ask ourselves, what's the use of obeying God? I've been faithful, and as a result I was sold as a slave, lied about, and now in prison with absolutely no one to turn to. Yet Joseph, despite heartrending sorrow, never seemed to lose his commitment to put God first, even in the worst of trials. God no doubt had been testing Joseph, and it appears He was pleased. Even in prison, his character was such that the prison warden knew Joseph could be trusted as a valuable servant. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing." The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph had been in this prison for several years when two new prisoners were added. They were two members of Pharaoh's household, one the chief baker and the other the chief butler, which was a very senior position. The warden put them under Joseph's charge, The biblical account tells us that one night each of these two men had a dream and each sensed the dream was significant, but no interpreter was available to explain it to them. Joseph offered to seek his God's help in the interpretation. And they said to him, We each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. The butler and baker each related their dream to Joseph, the details of which you can read in Genesis chapter 40. Joseph interpreted the dreams indicating that in three days the butler would be fully restored to his position, but also that in three days the baker would be hanged. Joseph appealed to the butler to remember him before Pharaoh so he might be released. All came to pass, but alas, the butler once restored forgot to mention Joseph to Pharaoh. Two additional years passed by. In all this time, Joseph remained faithful to God, a remarkable example of a trustworthy servant. He was now no longer the cocky young man bragging about his dreams, but a hard-working, faithful man, full of integrity and loyal to God under any condition. He was now of a character that God could use. Eventually, the descendants of Joseph were entrusted with the great birthright promised to Abraham. But as with all of God's blessings, they are conditional upon becoming and remaining obedient to Him. Moving away from God moves us away from His protection and opens a path to destruction. These stories are a message of promise, but they also contain a message of warning. As we have seen, Joseph while in prison had rightly interpreted the dream of Pharaoh's butler who had forgotten to speak on his behalf to the king. It was now two long years since the dreams were interpreted and God was ready to act. God gave Pharaoh a dream and caused it to trouble him. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream." Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard." both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, and we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he came to Pharaoh. Thirteen years after he was sold into slavery, and after terrible trials, Joseph was now standing before the most powerful king on the earth at that time. He was asked directly if he could interpret the dream. Joseph responded that he could not, but that his God could. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now of course we know that Joseph would have been praying intensely as Pharaoh was telling him the dream. And God inspired not only an interpretation, but also a solution for Pharaoh to implement to save his country. Joseph explained that the dreams meant that the land would experience seven years of great plenty with large crops which would be followed by seven years of near total crop failure and drought. He advised on a strategy, and Pharaoh immediately saw the wisdom of the plan. God then caused Joseph to be elevated as the de facto ruler of the empire. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. And so he set him over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was now effectively the prime minister, responsible for the day-to-day operation of the government in the empire. Now at the age of 30, his character refined, by God, over 13 long years, Joseph would be God's instrument to save Egypt but even more to save his family. He was given a wife and they had at least two sons, Manasseh the oldest and Ephraim the younger. After seven years of plenty, terrible crop failures and famine struck the region. In Egypt food was available because Joseph had stored one fifth of the crop for each of seven years. Food was even sold, likely at a high price, to the nations around Egypt, literally bringing a river of gold into the nation. Pharaoh grew more powerful. After two years of famine, Israel, Jacob, sent all of his sons except Benjamin down to Egypt to buy food. They ended up actually appearing before Joseph. Although he recognized them, they did not realize he was the brother they betrayed. Joseph tested them to see if their hearts had changed. He had Simeon arrested and held until they came back with his full brother Benjamin. You can read this remarkable story in Genesis chapter 42 to 48. Joseph eventually identified himself to them, provided for the whole family to move to Egypt, and was reunited with his beloved father Israel. The brothers were terrified that Joseph would seek revenge when Israel died, but note Joseph's answer. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Most of Jacob's sons were, at this time, anything but examples of righteousness. But God would see his purpose achieved. He was in the process of creating a new nation that would come out of Egypt in a later exodus, and he planned to make special provision for Joseph's children. As Israel lay very ill, close to the time of his death, Joseph brought to him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. By now they were young men. Israel took his right hand and put it on the head of the younger and his left hand on the head of the older. Joseph protested as the right hand was to reflect the blessing on the older son. Israel, however, knew what God was directing him to do. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. The sons of Israel were given a great prophecy, recorded in Genesis chapter 49, of their situation at the end of the age. But the birthright passed to the sons of Joseph, whose descendants are a powerful people today.